to another episode of A Simple Life with Michael Jeffries. I'm Michael Jeffries. On this podcast, we attempt to let go of all the subtext and social barriers that hold us back. It isn't about being right or wrong. We're just trying to keep it real. I'm excited today. We're trying out a new segment that I'm calling Bible Thoughts. Why Bible Thoughts? Well, many years ago, I was pretty confident that my Bible thoughts were the best Bible thoughts. But as my age increased, so did my understanding of how little I really knew. Realizing how naive and in many ways hurtful I had been to others in my life, I became pretty insecure to voice my Bible thoughts with others. Inwardly, I still had a lot of them, but with most people, I avoided the topic because I feared being hurtful to others. I'm in a much better place now, but I'm still vulnerable about voicing my Bible thoughts. And since vulnerability is one of the main themes of this podcast, it only makes sense to get into it here. Before we dive in, I wanted to share a little bit of my history and relationship with the Bible. As a teenager, I read the entire Bible, at least what modern-day Protestants consider the entire Bible. I grew up going to church every Sunday, and I know what words like Protestant mean. And I know facts related to the Bible, like different sects of Christians consider the Bible to be different collections of writings. I've preached sermons. It was many years ago, and only a handful of times, but yes, technically I could be referred to as a preacher. I have no formal training in Bible scholarship or relevant academic credentialing at all, really. Nor do I plan to spend hours and hours of time trying to get these Bible thought segments just right. I'm just a dude with a Bible talking about things I read and what I think. I won't be focused on getting it right or wrong. I'll be just trying to keep it real. So now that we're all ready, welcome to our inaugural Bible Thoughts segment. introductory show of Bible Thoughts with Michael Jeffries. Today we'll be uh, talking about John chapter 2, and I'll begin by reading the chapter. Three days later, there was a wedding in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. Jesus and his disciples were guests also. When they started running low on wine at the wedding banquet, Jesus' mother told him, they're just about out of wine. Jesus said, Is that any business of ours, mother, yours or mine? This isn't my time. Don't push me. She went ahead anyway, telling the servants, Whatever he tells you to do, do it. Six stoneware water pots were there, used by the Jews for ritual washings. Each held twenty to thirty gallons. Jesus ordered the servants, Fill the pots with water. And they filled them to the brim. Now fill your pitchers and take them to the host, Jesus said. And they did. When the host tasted the water that had become wine, he didn't know what had just happened, but the servants, of course, knew. He called out to the bridegroom. Everybody I know begins with their finest wines, and after the guests have had their fill, brings the cheap stuff. But you've saved the best till now. This act in Cana of Galilee was the first sign Jesus gave, the first glimpse of his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum, along with his mother, brothers, and disciples, and stayed several days. 
When the Passover feast, celebrated each spring by the Jews, was about to take place, Jesus traveled up to Jerusalem. He found the temple teeming with people, selling cattle and sheep and doves. The loan sharks were also there in full strength. Jesus put together a whip out of strips of leather and chased them out of the temple, stampeding the sheep and cattle, upending the tables of the loan sharks, spilling coins left and right. He told the dove merchants, Get your things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a shopping mall. That's when his disciples remembered the scripture, Zeal for your house consumes me. But the Jews were upset. They asked, What credentials can you present to justify this? Jesus answered, Tear down this temple, and in three days I'll put it back together. They were indignant. It took 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to rebuild it in three days? But Jesus was talking about his body as the temple. Later, after he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered he had said this. They then put two and two together and believed both what was written in Scripture and what Jesus had said. During the time he was in Jerusalem, those days of the Passover feast, many people noticed the signs he was displaying, and seeing they pointed straight to God, entrusted their lives to him. But Jesus didn't entrust his life to them. He knew them inside and out, knew how untrustworthy they were. He didn't need any help in seeing right through them. Okay, there you go. Um, that was John chapter 2 from the Bible. And now we'll get into some of my thoughts about that. And this, I've heard people talk about this chapter a lot in Christian circles. And today, my, my thoughts really don't center on a lot of the things I've heard uh, for, about this chapter in the past. So we'll see what you think about it. Uh, the first thing that I find remarkable here is some of the context that we're given for Jesus's relationship with his mother, at least from John's standpoint, the disciple of Jesus who wrote this book of the Bible. So we hear all this stuff like, uh, let's see here, they're running low on wine. Jesus's mother told him they're just about out of wine. Jesus said, is that any business of ours, mother, yours or mine? This isn't my time. Don't push me. She went ahead anyway, telling the servants, whatever he tells you, do it. Six stoneware pots were there, used by the Jews for ritual washings. Each held 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus ordered the servants, fill the pots with water, and they filled them to the brim. Okay, so Jesus' relationship with his mother. Just like so many of us, Jesus had a nosy mother with a good heart. You know, she... She saw this need for more wine, and she wanted to help out. Um, and another thing I find remarkable is Jesus' mother had seen him do all kinds of supernatural things before this wedding, as evidenced by, like, she's like, come on, Jesus, you know what to do. Let's do something about this. Do something cool and supernatural and amazing. Jesus' mother knew he might give some crazy-sounding instructions to make the magic happen. Um, her remark about uh, whatever he tells you, do it. You know, it might get crazy. I don't know what he's going to say, but just do whatever he says and it'll be cool. Uh, and then the last thing I find remarkable about Jesus's relationship with his mother is even though Jesus didn't think it was a good idea to do what his mother wanted, he did it anyways, just like uh, so many of us with our relationships with our mothers. <laughs> um, 
Jesus' response to his mother, Is that any business of ours, mother, yours or mine? This isn't my time. Don't push me. He said that, and yet he still went ahead and uh, <laughs> performed the miracle of water into wine. All right, so the next thing I find remarkable here, some of my other thoughts about this chapter, things that make sense in the present moment may not make sense in the future is something that I find here. And it centers on this whole water into wine thing. In the text, John tells us that turning water into wine was the first, quote, glimpse of Jesus' glory that he gave to humanity. And his disciples believed on him. You find this in the passage. And no doubt about it, if I was at a party and somebody turned water into wine, I'd be impressed. In that moment, the meaning, the glory of all of this was completely apparent. Wine was needed. Mary asked Jesus for wine. Jesus made wine in a miraculous way. The party was saved. Total sense in that present moment. I get it. But from my perspective now, all these thousands of years later, reading this, um, it seems like such a relatively unimpressive way to start out a miracle career. Remember, Jesus is the man who would later be called the Son of God, Savior of the world, and go on to be worshipped as God by billions of people up until this present day. Why would Jesus begin his career with such a magician-type miracle like turning water into wine for a bunch of party animals when he could feed thousands of hungry people and bring the dead back to life. Like, those are impressive. Water into wine for, for people who want to get drunk. Like, it, it seems like kind of uh, magician-like. And that doesn't make sense to me all these thousands of year, years later, even though in the present context of that party, I get it. Totally makes sense. All right, moving on. The next thing I find remarkable from this um, chapter, things that don't make sense in the present moment may make sense in the future. We read that Jesus' disciples had a realization about a comment Jesus made on that day at the temple. Jesus traveled up to Jerusalem, went to the temple. There was all these people selling stuff and loan sharking. And Jesus got very angry, took a whip and scattered everything and told everybody off and, you know, he wasn't a fit, an official at that temple. So everybody was like, what, what's up? Why are you doing this? What are your credentials? They're angry and, and frustrated and indignant about this. And Jesus responded to them, tear down this temple and in three days I'll put it back together. And they were in, indignant about that and didn't make any sense to them. Um, and then we're given this like insight, but Jesus was talking about his body as the temple. Later, after he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered he had said this. They then put two and two together and believed both what was written in the scripture and what Jesus had said. So he does that whole comment, tear down this temple, and in three days I'll put it back together, kind of like this code thing. Nobody understood him, including his disciples. And then it says later, after he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered he had said this. So the, the disciples, nobody in that moment understood what Jesus was saying. This was like Jesus talking in code on purpose to people he knew wouldn't understand him. And later on, 
his disciples came to an understanding. So this, this Bible thought, things that don't make sense in the present moment may make sense in the future. So uh, to, to sum up, the first section, Jesus' relationship with his mother, we totally get some insight. Um, I could totally see how like the John or the people writing this book of John, whoever, we're like, how do we humanize Jesus so that everybody knows, you know, this is chapter two, fairly early on in the book of John. How do we humanize Jesus and make sure everybody knows he was totally a man who walked the face of this earth? I know. Let's talk about how nosy uh, his mother was, but she also had a good heart and how Jesus didn't always want to do what his mother wanted him to do, but he he would do it anyways, just like all of us with our mothers. Like that totally makes sense to help tell this story about Jesus being a, a real human being while still being the son of God. And I, I like that. I think that's very interesting um, as a part of the whole story of Jesus. I like that idea of humanizing him through his the way his relationship with his mother is described. <laughs> um, and the other remarkable thing is this whole like, how things make sense. Things that make sense in the present moment may not make sense in the future. This whole like how unimpressive I find this, this turning water into wine being some glimpse of Jesus's glory. Like it is impressive. It's interesting. But in comparison to what he does later on and this whole notion that he's the son of God, savior of the world, why did he choose this to be his first miracle? I don't understand that now all these years later and then you know things that don't make sense in the present moment may make sense in the future this whole thing here about his disciples you know jesus saying that coded message tear down the temple i'll rebuild it in three days really talking about his body and dying and and then coming back to life three days later and his disciples not understanding the message in that present moment and then understanding those words and being able to put it all together later on. I find this totally true in my own life. Things that make sense in the present moment may not make sense in the future. Things that don't make sense in the present moment may make sense in the future. Not always, but may. So overall takeaways, it's an unrealistic expectation for everything to make sense in every moment for us. If we spend our energies looking for all the meanings in life, will miss out on living life. To do is to know. Stop searching, focus on doing, and be kind to your mother. When I started this podcast, I didn't like the idea of asking people to rate it. I've always thought it was weird how podcasters always seem to be begging people to rate them, as I thought of it. And I'd listened to a lot of podcasts, very popular ones, and they always seem to be wanting more people to rate them. But over the last several episodes, I've learned how podcasts climb the rankings, and it is not what I expected. Strange is the word that comes to mind. From what I can gather, the way that the world determines which podcasts are the quote-unquote good ones is apparently determined by the ratings and comments a podcast receives on iTunes specifically. So if you listen on iTunes, consider yourself a wise and powerful voice in the world of podcasts. 
The power you wield with your ratings and comments can literally take a podcaster from amateur to professional. So, with that lesson, all of a sudden it made sense to me why podcasters never seem to have enough ratings. We all want to turn the thing that we love doing into the way that we support the people we love being with. If you are listening to this podcast for the first time, you get a pass. For those of you who have listened to A Simple Life with Michael Jeffries at least twice, consider taking a few moments to rate us on iTunes. If you want to rate us on iTunes, but you're a confused mother, find one of your children and ask them to give you a glimpse of their glory by performing this miracle for you. Thanks for joining us for another episode of A Simple Life with Michael Jeffries. We'll see you down the road.